Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, April 5th. All eyes have been turned to the event in Charleston, the Volvo Car Open. Uh, obviously the only premier event going on. We've got challengers and lower level events on both the men's and women's side and college tennis galore, and we've covered a lot of that earlier in the week, so go check out those Mini Break episodes. But joining me today to put the spotlight on Charleston, he's on site, so we had to have him back on the podcast. He's a contributor for Tennis.com, for Tennis Channel, for Cracked Rackets, a former Duke men's tennis player. I'm really enjoying getting to work with him. Kale Hammond, welcome back to the Mini Break Pod. Thank you for having me, Mr. Gruskin. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, today was an epic day in Charleston, so I mean, it's it's late. I'm tired. I'm literally in bed underneath the covers, <laughs> so, let's, so let's get going. Well, you you talk about you know you being tired. They've obviously had a lot of lulls in play, a lot of starting and stopping, and it's not only hard on you know the players, but it's hard on the fans too to keep that attention span going. You know, one second they're playing, the next it's raining, the next there's gushing winds. Uh, just what's it been like weathering all of that for you? And then from the players' perspectives, what have you seen from them? Um, well, first off, from like the the media perspective, and you know <laughs> the people who have to be outside, and all the grounds crew, and all the staff, like. The first two days, Monday, Tuesday, when it was freezing and um, and raining, and, like, it was really cold, dude. It was 45 degrees, like, and, and pretty windy. <laughs> well, that, I, I have to stop you. That's hilarious. That sounds just like Rothman because in Michigan, I'd be like, it's spring. Let's go. No, come on. <laughs> for, you're not, like, dressed for it. You, you, don't, you, know, you don't pack your, your winter coat to, to Charleston. <laughs> Like I have, I have, I have long sleeve shirt. I have a jacket, like a hoodie, and I also have like a, a nice little Lululemon pullover type jacket. And I wore all three on on that. I can't even remember if it's Monday or Tuesday, man. When you're at these tournaments, the days just totally blend together. Weekdays mean nothing. Um, but but um, to that point, like all the media people, you know, the the people who have to interview the players on court afterwards, people who stand outside, like. That that really cold forty five degree day when a lot of people weren't dressed for it. It actually got a lot of people sick, and like I started feeling it too in my throat and my you know nose and um, it really did like a lot of people got ca- caught a cold because they weren't um, prepared for that chilly chilly weather. And then as far as the players go, yes about that. Um, it was it was brutal that first day. Um, that people were playing like the, some of the most ridiculous outfits I've ever seen. I can't remember her name. I mean, y- <laughs> y- Yasmin Bonaventure, Yasmine Bonaventure was actually wearing maybe the coolest outfit I've ever seen. She actually had a sleeveless, like down athletic vest. She's wearing a sleeveless <laughs> vest. I posted it on the Tennis Channel story. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. But um, yeah, it was cold. I mean, everyone was wearing hoodies. They couldn't feel their hands. They couldn't feel the ball. And it's on. And it's on this clay too. You you know you really don't you don't you don't think about playing on clay when it's when it's really cold outside. So I'm sure. Well, that was gonna, that was going to be my next question in terms of the surface itself. We're so used to hard courts where if there's too much rains, you know you can't play around a puddle. You just kind of stop. But they can play when it gets a little moist, and then you know the clay gets kind of chunky. The ball kind of gets a little bit heavier. Have you seen that sort of play? Have the conditions affected you know how these yeah, players are playing on time, the courts? Big time. That day it, it rained on Tuesday. Um, I dude, I can't even remember if it was Tuesday or Monday. This is driving me crazy. <laughs> Do you remember which day it rained? <laughs> I want to say I can't even remember because we talked Monday night, so I want to say it rained Tuesday. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it rained and it was cold, but uh, the the courts were really wet on that Wednesday when you know when things got back into action. They were they were really really wet and sticky. That was the players were saying how the the rain affected affected the court a little bit. But look, I mean, this today the last two days have been pristine, unbelievable, and I see why this tournament has such a amazing reputation because it really was fantastic. We've talked about weather weather long enough. I think people a lot of people <laughs> probably jumped off. <laughs> what are you talking about? The mini breaks become a weather podcast. It's where you get your daily updates on the biggest storylines, controversies, and results in weather. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you you talk about those Wednesdays. You know the courts playing different. We'll transition here to the results. Um, I, I think some of the upsets we saw it kind of played to that. And the match we have to start with 
wasn't an upset, but certainly was on the brink of it. That Ostapenko Rogers three set thriller. Roger or Ostapenko ended up winning the match four six six three seven six. Rogers led five one in that third set. Was playing so aggressively, taking the ball away from Ostapenko. You know, you were there, Cal. What did you see that allowed Ostapenko to make that comeback? So I was there um, watching the match and. Shelby was up. I think I think she got up 4-0. And Ostapenko just flipped a switch and just went total YOLO mode and just started absolutely lasering the ball, going for clean winners on almost every shot, especially on the backhand side. Every time she got a look at the backhand, it seemed like she tried to crank a winner down the line. And, you know, when you're playing, you get down 4-0. Like, you just let it fly. And a lot of times, you know, you're going to play two good games. And... She did that, and she just started cranking and going for winners on on pretty much every shot and just ripping from corner to corner as hard as she could. And that combined with, um, you know, Shelby being obviously very fatigued. Uh, I talked to her after her match, and she said that she she didn't even think she was going to be able to play because she sprained her ankle in her first round win. Um, And so she was just, she was sort of shocked herself that she actually um, played so well and had you know such a good opportunity to win but at the end of the match um, when it got in the latter stages of the third set she was she was completely gassed and her ankle was bad she she, she was hardly running for balls um, at the end so it was tough it's just interesting from the Ostapenko side as well, and it's a testament, I think, how physical the match was in general. You know, she today plays Madison Keys, plays a really tight first set 7-5, and kind of falls off in that second 6-2. It was a really physical match in the second round against Rodgers. Uh, again, for Shelby to give that sort of effort two days in a row or two out of three days, whatever it is, so impressive given the amount of time she's missed. I guess... We can leave this match here, but my final question for you. Do you think she'll, you know, she'll be contending right away at this French Open, you know, potentially second week? Or do you think she's still a couple weeks away uh, from getting back to the level she was at? Shelby? You're talking Shelby? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to stop talking about this match right now. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> no, it was amazing. She had The crowd was just so cool. It was another one of those goosebump match matches. Everyone had goosebumps. Um, they were trying to pull her through, you know, when Ostapenko was making her comeback, and it, physically she just wasn't quite able, you know, to play at the level she needed to. When Ostapenko raised her level from about a three to a ten, and she kept it at the ten level, um, starting at oh four in the third, and you know she raised. She really did just just start pulling trigger on everything. But Shelby, like her, that's such a testament to you know her her personality and just her as a person. She loses that match. She had a match point. Um, she was up five one, and I saw her on a golf cart driving back. Not but three minutes later after the match, and she had a smile on her face. She was the most cheerful cheerful person at the tournament. Right after she <laughs> lost that match, I was talking to people, you know, around the grounds that have known her for a while. And they said to me, oh, Shelby's going to be just torn up over that match. I don't know if she'll ever get over that one. And I was like, oh, I saw her just a second ago. She was in pretty good spirits. <laughs> and, and, and then we were supposed to, we were doing this golf cart confessional. Out of, I've um, been um, championing that project on the grounds. I don't know if you've seen them. Have you seen any of those on uh, the old uh, interwebs? Uh, <laughs> of course I have. I follow them closely. And for our listeners watching, where can they find those? watching those are all on tennis channel twitter oh perfect Go I, I mean it's just great how candid they can get because you had sakari today right we had sakari when it was really cold they're sort of coming out a day a day after yeah it's so funny you could see she is a bit frigid but i mean just the intimacy of the moment it's such a cool series the players like being asked questions um that ha- don't have you know much to do with tennis <laughs> Exactly. That's what Benchit said. Benchit loves doing it because she's like, look, it's not the same questions. People get, you know, you get a chance to reveal some of your personality. And that's really important for these players because everyone gets to see him playing tennis in the post-match interview. But you really don't, aren't able to get, um, you know, a sense of like what they like and their personality and how they interact with people. Because it's, you know, it is sort of a conversation you're having back and forth with them. 
No, I, I that's why I've enjoyed watching the videos. But and I'm sorry, I kind of cut you off uh, midpoint. But you were talking in terms of Shelby Rogers, and you know I do want to move on because we could talk about that match forever. But there were a lot of other great matches. You yeah. Know, any final thoughts from you on that one? A little more. I mean, she <laughs> like she she got into the press room, and everyone was you know like respecting her and being pretty somber, and she just got in there. She's like, why are, why why am I the only one smiling? I was so close. <laughs> Like, the perspective that she was able to have um, right after, you know, the heat of competition, and she just realized that she was lucky to be in that situation, and she's, as far as her comeback goes, it went, it was, it was a 10 out of 10. You know, she was able to compete with the number 10 seed, Ostapenko, and be up 5-1 in the third with a bum ankle. So, you know, it was just cool to see what, you know, what a good sport she was. And, like, we'll get back to the golf cart. Saw her, and um, she goes, when are we doing the golf cart interview? Five, five <laughs> minutes after she lost. That's where, that's where her head was at. She was thinking about other people. She was happy. She was smiling. And I said, whenever you want. And then I, I did it, and then I told um, you know, the, the director of our sort of tennis industry relations, which they have a, a big job dealing with the agents, dealing with the players, dealing with the tournament, and coordinating um, media interactions with players. And she looked at me. She's like, you did what after she lost? And I was like, I was like, she asked me about it. Like, she wanted to do it. Like, I swear to God. Uh, and she was like, she was pissed. She was like, you did what? After she lost. I was like, I was like, yo, I swear she asked about it. She wanted to do it. <laughs> and that's, I think we can end it there. It's just, just a, a great, a great weekend for Shelby. No, I, I completely agree with you. And she deserves to be happy. Some of the other players who deserve to be happy and in terms of the players who are able to get all the way through that upset finish line. We had four seeds go down in the second round. I want to start with the Americans who won. Jessica Pagula knocks out the number four seed, Sevastova, 6-4, uh, for Pagula. She's really had a fantastic 2019. Makes the finals um, not only in Indian Wells, but makes the finals in Midland as well. You know, qualifies, or gets a wild card, wins around in Indian Wells, qualifies for Miami, but loses first round to Conta. So to see her make a round of 16 here, not shocking, but just what have you seen from her, Kale, that allowed her to have that sort of success? I saw her play some really good matches. That's that's all <laughs> I saw. I mean, she was playing, she hardly ever missed. And her <laughs> that drop usually shot works. Was, was amazing. She she hit like four drop shot, clean drop shot winners in the match that I watched her um, beat over Sevastova. And I just saw her play better, play better than her opponents. And she she's a strong, she's a good athlete. She's very strong, and she hits a big big ball and she hit it deep and and she played well. I mean, she's good. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And she just, you know, on another note, in terms of another upset, we saw Taylor Townsend. She knocks out the number seven seed, gorgeous six four seven six. People know Townsend as the former number one junior in the world, but in her pro career, I think six of the ten singles titles she's won have been on clay. This is definitely her best surface, and for her to come into the year, you know, or to this portion of the season, top seventy-five, I just think you know her game is so well suited to this. She throws up the moon ball. She throws up, you know, serves and volleys off of lob, or serves and volleys, and then follows lobs into the net. Just. Such a creative player. I, I think she, of these two upsets, I, I just love Townsend's game. She's really good on clay, and she talked about that, I think, during um, one of the media days or golf cart interviews. I can't remember. She's really good on clay. Her, or, you know, She gets that lefty. She's able to hit that high, heavy angle. Um, not just hit a forehand angle, but hit it high and heavy so it bounces and, and bounces up even even more out of the opponent's strike zone. And then she hits that once she sees the opponent. They switch, they switch to that slice grip. She immediately runs forward, and she has one of the better transition games in the tour, um, for sure. So it, it's she's good on clay, but she's not a grinder. So it's really fun to watch her play. I, ha- I had a great time watching Taylor Townsend play. Um, good serve, every, you know. She's hitting it clean. She's got great hands. Good, good, good feel. Those mean the same thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> like her drop volley, she comes in that. She's able to carve the volley, you know, get it off the court and. Yeah, I think she's going to be dangerous um, on the red clay for sure. I would say she has quick hands and good feel. That's kind of a difference, right? Isn't she's all, her hands are out in front. She's always you know ready to redirect a volley. I mean, yeah, her game is just so 
different than any of the other games on tour. And, you know, we can look at both of these players and the results they had today. Unfortunately, both lost their matches to seeds. Uh, starting with Townsend, though, you know, she loses to Benchic 6-2-7-5. I think in the end, Benchic just had a little bit too much firepower for her. But you can just see the way Townsend's able to make any player, regardless of their level, you know, uncomfortable on this surface, get them stretched off the court, take time away from them. I would not be surprised if at the end of the French Open she's top 50 in the world. No, um, yeah, she had a tough one today. I think Benchich, um, ben, for me, Benchich is, is the favorite to win the tournament. She's just hitting the ball wow. so clean right now. I mean, she ha- I haven't seen her shank a single shot the entire tournament. Everything she's hitting is super clean. Um, and she she wasn't she she had a close first set against Townsend, but she was up a break um, in the beginning. She was in no danger of losing that match. I I was pretty much watched the whole thing, and she's I think I think for me she's the favorite to win this tournament. And, you and know, I know it's not crazy because she is. <laughs> if you think about how players are playing heading into this tournament, she's playing better than anyone heading into this tournament. Yeah, look, this is a little sneak peek ahead, but the people who are left: Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys, Caroline Wozniacki. They haven't had more success than Belinda Benchich in 2019. It's a bit of a tangent, but you talk about her being your favorite for this event. I know we have a ton of the clay season ahead of us. Sneaky dark horse right now for your favorite for the French Open women's singles. If I told you the odds on her were like 4-1 to one on Bavada, would you throw on 20 bucks right now? 4-1 to one for what? Benchich for what? For Benchich winning the French Open singles title. 4-1? to one? Ooh. No. No, I don't think so. I think four to one is is isn't is. I mean, it seems sort of fair, but when you're betting, you're looking for some juice. You know, you're not looking for fair. <laughs> I mean, but that sounds about right. It really, I don't yeah, know. It's fair. I, it is fair. I mean, she's look. She's played amazing. She's like nineteen and four or something like that um, this season. Ooh, I have it in front of us. Let's go. French Open odds for the women. She right now, da da da, Belinda Benchich plus five thousand. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's worth a shot. Yeah, that is interesting. Right now, Halep and Serena both ahead of her. I don't know if I could agree. Oh, Halep maybe, but Serena plus six fifty at versus Benchich plus five thousand. That's a little crazy. But that's hmm. that, that's that's there because the common better um, is going to you know place that on Serena. <laughs> I think I don't think too many tennis. Tennis fans would be betting on Serena, but that's sort of for the more general public. You know, it's like the Tiger Woods odds. Yeah, he's no, not, he's sure. always going to be up higher than he should be. For sure, and we can talk about that off pod between you and I if we want to. You know, I had a good weekend in Vegas. So did Rothman. We've got some cash in the pocket if we want to try and you know parlay our luck. Uh, but let's let's talk real quick before we move on about Jessica Pegula. Uh, she lost today in three sets against Martich. Martich so solid. I mean, she just, you know, she neutralizes everything. Really good at taking balls early, uh, particularly on that forehand side. And kind of an interesting backswing, but in the end, she's just a little too much against Pegula. She was moving really well on the clay. She's taking these small steps. She moves her feet really, really quick. And she took a lot of time away from Pegula, you're right. And, and that was, yeah, she's good. I haven't seen too much of her, to be honest, um, my whole life. I really didn't even know who she was, but I watched her that day, and I was like, oh, this... This lady is very is very uh, capable. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Well, then let's move on to our next match, um, another second round. And we'll, we'll just do two more second rounds real quick. Uh, Kanepi knocks out number 16, Mertens, 0-6-6-0-7-5. What a scoreline that is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's only in tennis, you know. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people think winning, you know, me too, sort of like I would much, 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 much rather win a first set 6-1 or 6-2 than 6-0. Call me crazy, <laughs> call me crazy, but uh, I really would because something about someone not winning a game, they're embarrassed, and then they play, <laughs> you know, they play with that primal fear of getting bit double bageled. I completely agree with you. It's uh, the only instance I know of oh six six zero, and it's a funny story. My older brother won the first set. Oh no, no sorry, it was yeah, it was seven six oh six. Um, and then a third set breaker. My older brother had a court date. He had gotten a speeding ticket, and so he won the first set in the breaker, but he didn't want to be late for his court date, so he takes the second set 6-0 to get to the breaker as fast as possible. He said he was just 
tomahawking serves in the net, ends up winning the breaker, makes the court date on time. Uh, that's the, like that to me is the only instance when you should be losing. Just or crazy start on the deuce like side and just tap the ball on the ground two times. Step over yep. to the ad side, tap the ball on the ground two times. You could probably get through an entire service game in in, uh, in less than ten seconds. I'm not even kidding. He hit serves directly into the ground to try and get the balls back to the guy as quick as possible. He was like, I cannot miss this court. I mean, he's an idiot, but it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I guess, you know, we can move on. Uh, Monica Pui knocks out Sophia Kennan, 13 seed, 4-4. Four and four. I mean, Pui just so solid. Her That match versus Danielle Collins tomorrow is going to be a blockbuster. Pui, Pui, uh, Pui is playing fantastic. She played amazing um, in that match that you just mentioned, and then today I watched her play uh, Sabalenka, and she she beat Sabalenka pretty bad. I mean, Sabalenka was up um, 5-4 in that second set, but I got there at 5-4 to try and catch the end, see if there's going to be a split set, you know, get some Instagram content, and <laughs> Puig won like, won like 11 out of 12 points and then won the match. I mean, she clearly won 12 points, but uh, she she only lost, I think, two points um, in those three games. And I mean, Sabalenka was serving at 5-all, Puig uh, broke her at love. Everyone knows what Monica Puig is capable of. We all remember her run to the Olympic uh, gold medal, which was just amazing when it, it happened. It got her like and... 400,000 Instagram followers. That was <laughs> That was a good week for her. Holy crap, she made a lot of money after that. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, she was the face of Puerto Rican athletics, and credit to her, she deserved to be. Yeah, well-deserved, well-deserved indeed. Yeah, and so, yeah, to see her playing this level, uh, so exciting. You mentioned uh, that round of 16, and we've mentioned a couple of the others. I just kind of want to move through them real quickly. Yeah, I mean, but before we go, Puig was hitting the ball as hard as she could, six inches from the baseline every single time. I was talking to some of the media people after, and they were just like, yeah. Like, people were wondering, oh, did Sabalenka play bad? Did this happen? No. Sabalenka didn't play fantastic, but there was nothing she could do. Well, you can't do anything when someone's hitting the ball six inches from the baseline at that pace and, you know, going for that shot every time. And then Puig also had a point um, that sort of, you know, knocked the wind out of Sabalenka. Sabalenka hit a pretty decent drop shot. And Puy got to it just barely and hit a counter drop shot that landed on the line. You could hear the plastic when it bounced, and it was <laughs> the shot of the tournament. Um, if there's if someone's able to find that, they should. I, I think it was the shot of the tournament so far. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look see if I can find it on Twitter or something. Yeah, definitely. Maybe tweet that out to, if you find it tomorrow with this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you said uh, your favorite's Belinda Bencic. I just think she has a little bit too much firepower when coming up against someone like Monica Puig. But what you know, outside shot Puig wins this tournament. You know, it depends if she's physically if she's in in great shape, then it's 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 feasible. Um, tomorrow's going to be tough against Danielle. Danielle's really good on this green clay. She's from Florida. She grew up playing on it. Her game is so versatile on this surface. She can really do anything. I mean, her backhand, she can hit clean winners um, off of pretty much any shot on her backhand. Her backhand right now, when she's in the middle of the court, hitting it, it down the line but also slightly inside out, is one of the top five shots of the tournament so far. Danielle Collins. Danielle Collins hasn't lost a set yet. I've never seen someone swing with more viciousness than Danielle Collins. I mean, just, it, it's so impressive, the racket speed, the way she really goes after every ball at the Yeah, baseline, she's a fucking pro tennis player, dude. She- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, but just the racket speed, it's elite. Like, I just, I'm really, really impressed with it. I mean, yeah, you're right. She's a pro tennis player. It's obvious that you played college tennis. She's a good pro tennis player. And yeah, Yeah. good, I don't know about you, but good pro tennis players, they don't sell themselves short on any shot. Counterpoint is. That's what separates the great players from the good player. Name a great player who, you know, decelerates from time to time, like, for no reason. Like, I mean, the great players, (laughs) they they let the, they let it rock. And if they miss it, it, but so be it. They're not going to guide the ball. Roger Federer makes it look so easy, but you're right. He's not letting up. Um, I mean, I'm a firm I think believer Je- that Roger Federer ruined like a generation of kids' games because people <laughs> tried to play like him, and you can't play like him. You don't have the talent. The way he makes it look is actually makes a lot of people ten- uh, worse at tennis. I remember growing up in juniors, if I played someone who used the Federer racket, the 95, that 13-ounce <laughs> one, I thought to myself, oh, my God, um, this is a guaranteed victory. 
It's a guaranteed victory. I don't. I never lost to a, no one who used that racket because they shanked every other ball because it was too heavy. Yeah, they'll hit a when they connect. It looks like Federer. It sounds like Federer, but they don't have the talent to do it over and over again. I mean, they the unforced error rate of juniors who use the Federer ninety five racket is just astronomical. People will say Grigor Dimitrov has the closest resemblance to Roger Federer. I would argue in terms of forehands, Ray Sarmiento was the closest replica I've ever seen. You're so right. You're so right. (laughs) I mean, Ray, God, I hope he gets healthy. That guy is just a I Watching Ray Sarmiento play is just fun. I played a pro-am with him recently, and I got to play against him for the first time. And, yeah, like his stroke production, especially on the forehand and the serve, is is almost identical to Roger Federer. We got you guys got to do crack rackets. Uh, have Westhoff uh, just do a little side by side mesh video. Get if you have if you can find a good one of Ray um, hitting the forehand and put it next to Federer's because I bet it looks pretty identical. I literally just put in my editing notes. Great video idea at twenty five twenty. So Westhoff, I, 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 it was my idea first. <laughs> I didn't say whose idea, but yes, Kale's. Uh, Kale's. Uh, he can defer to Tennis Channel if he wants. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, no. You guys got it. Guys yeah. Got it. No. It, but but uh, we'll, we'll race. We'll race. We have we have uh, two two video editors. You have one who also does a lot of other stuff. So I think we might win. No, I like it. I just think yeah. It's the reason he would go on tears at the NCAAs is because his game was just so beautiful. Uh, but let, let's get back to uh, to the Volvo car. I'm open. down for we, a race Armiento segue anytime though. That guy, I love watching him play. All right, let's proceed. Max Rothman interviewed him on the Correct Interviews podcast, so go check that out, listeners. He gave a great conversation. Um, it was a ton of you know he was a very candid guy, and yes, as you mentioned, feels like we should definitely. End it by saying we hope he gets healthy soon. But yes, we can move on. Uh, we talked about Pegula, Townsend, Pui, uh, and not that Benchich was the winner over Townsend, Martich over Pegula, Pui over Sabalenka. You mentioned Collins. Uh, she beats uh, Kanepi in this one, seven six six one. Still hasn't lost a set. Um, a player we haven't talked about yet, Caroline Wozniacki. You know, you got to meet David Lee. Whatever juju's going on is clearly a good thing. She knocks out Berzinescu today, six four three six six three. I mean, the clay, it's interesting with her because she's never had a huge weapon, but, you know, the way she was moving today, just she, she played a typical Caroline Wozniacki match. Her ability to play tennis is her weapon. I mean, she, you know, <laughs> she's just really good at tennis. There's no, no, nothing else to say. Um, her her counterpunching ability is second to none. I, I would argue that she is by far the best counterpuncher on the, on the tour. Um, you know, like if you go for an ill-advised shot against Wozniacki, she makes you pay for it every time, and that's important on the green clay. Um, you know, the, and our announcers, TC announcers, talked about it today. You got to make the clay your friend. You can't go against the grain. You can't fight the clay. You have to embrace it. And um, yeah, Wozniacki lost a set to Brzezinski. Brzezinski, also, we could talk about her. Just a fantastic athlete. She lifted up her shirt a couple times to wipe some sweat off. And she has an eight-pack, dude, a bulging <laughs> eight-pack. She's she's fit as a fiddle. Yeah, I mean, hey, she's a professional tennis player. What would you expect? <laughs> we talked about Sorry, that some was other, we talked about that was sarcasm. players just, earlier just, on in this just, podcast that yeah, do not just, look like Buzernescu. Yeah, so. that's true. No, that's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, this was it was a high level match, just physically draining. You could see on both of their faces when they went up for the handshake. You know, it was just high quality all yeah. the way around. And then Wozniacki is also a big time favorite. I mean, Benchich and Wozniacki are probably my two. Um, my two, they're probably even um, in terms of who I think is going to win the tournament. But Benchich just sort of has this aura around her. Her confidence level right now seems really, really high, and it's it's always fun to see an athlete when they're in the zone. And she seems to be pretty much in the zone right now. Another athlete I'd argue is in the zone, but both from the social media exposure uh, and especially and even more so the way she's been playing this week, uh, Sakari, who knocks out Burton 7-6-6-3, you know, crazy first set tiebreaker. Burton's, I think, had four set points, and Sakari just kept fighting them off. I mean, she has played outstanding tennis this week. She played fantastic today against Kiki Burton's, who— Obviously, uh, it was is is super sweet, super nice. I like her, but she defending uh, Kiki, champion. I mean, Kiki, right? Here's the thing, though. Kiki Burton's had four set points, um, and she didn't play that tremendous on a couple of them. But a couple of them, Sakari played outstanding points, and Sakari on the forehand 
more so than I've ever seen her, was leaning back and, you know, putting some height on it and using her strong, strong core and shoulder muscles and legs. I mean, she's, Sakari is a beast. And just, you know, putting a lot of air under the ball and just hitting these heavy, heavy, heavy forehands. She was hitting the ball heavier than anyone in the tournament um, today. That's for sure. One of the things I forgot about clay tennis, and I just feel like it's more pronounced on the clay than it is on the hard court. You know, so many of these players to buy themselves time go heavy topspin, high elevation down the line. And it's just like, I, I forgot that's such a go-to pl- play on clay because, you know, it makes going behind the players so much harder. And for Sakari, I thought that was the thing she did so well today, neutralizing balls, buying herself time. Yeah, I mean, she had that another set, player. She had that fit set point. Um, she had that set point where Kiki Burton's had a, had a cross-court forehand. Kiki chose to play it safe, and mm-hmm. hit. she still hit a good ball, you know, a repeatable uh, rally ball to the open court. She had a chance to pull the trigger for a winner, in retrospect, she clearly should have, but Sakari got just turned on the jets and slid into this forehand, you know, ten feet behind the baseline, and caught it perfectly and just threw up, you know, twenty feet in the air, heavy as can be, three feet from the baseline. And I think um, because she didn't pull the trigger on that shot, on the one that she should have, Burton's felt the need to pull trigger on this. Moon, heavy moon ball that Sakari got to because she was so far off the court, but that's not the right shot. She needed to just play it because hitting a winner off a ball that's coming at that trajectory is really difficult to do. And she sort of uh, poofed the forehand, you know, wide and long, tried to hit an inside-out winner um, because she had the open court. But Sakari hit such a good running forehand, and um, that was it. That was the last set point Burton's had, and then yeah, Sakari and- just sort of. Didn't crush her in the third, but she smothered her in the third with her physicality and just her weight of shot. She played. She was she was the better player today. Oh, and you talk about that physicality. She's going to need another effort like this tomorrow when she takes on Caroline Wozniacki. I mean, that's just going to be that. That could be a definitely battle. definitely go three sets. I'll say that that if Sakari does lose, there is a slight silver lining in it with me because then I can try and convince her coach, who's one of my good friends, Tom Hill, he worked at Tennis Channel um, for a little while. Um, I can try and convince him to, you know, come out with me a night. <laughs> I heard the nightlife in Charleston is second to none. And also, no, yeah, I heard t- College of Charleston, the, the girl-to-guy ratio is like 60-40 or something, like <laughs> even like 70-30 almost. Our very own uh, Parker Thieneman is a College of Charleston graduate, and yes, he speaks quite fondly of it. So well, there we definitely, have it. definitely give it a look. Maybe hit him up. He might have some spots for you. Yeah, we can do that afterwards, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But all right, well, any final thoughts on Sakari, or can we move on? Oh, uh, we can move on, but she, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes three, a tight three-setter with Wozniacki tomorrow. And also, right. David Lee today, I went and I looked at him, saw him in the stands, <laughs> was going to go sit next to him, but he was uh, surrounded by all sides, so there was no good way to go about that. But if he's got an open seat next, if he's got two open seats next to him next time, you mm. bet your ass I'm going to uh, plant myself in the in the seat, one seat First over. Dog. I'm not going to sit right next to you. I'm not that kind of guy. But I am the kind of guy who will sit two seats over. That's uh, the first double team he's seen since he played for the Knicks. I'm sure he'll be happy. But we can move on to our next and our last set of matches. These two Americans did not have the best hardcore swing. Uh, they now match up, though, tomorrow in the quarterfinals. I'm, of course, talking about Sloane Stevens, who survives against Tom Janovich, 4-6-6-4-6-4, and Madison Keys, who, as we mentioned, knocks out Ostapenko, 7-5-6-2. I mean, these were the two headline Americans coming into the season. Everything we get from Serena is just, you know, kind of a cherry on top, but these are the two who are supposed to carry these next two years until the young crop is ready. Obviously, Collins is kind of busted in. She's that age as well. But you know, what have you seen from these two players this week that's working? I've seen um, mental toughness from both of them. They're not playing very well. Um, <laughs> I don't think I don't. I think Keys might be playing a little bit better than Sloan right now. Sloan, Sloan has not played well. She has toughed it through both of her matches. And Keys um, had a really tough one in the first set against Ostapenko. Ostapenko sort of ran out of gas in the second, and Keys' weight of shot was just a little too much. But this is going to come down to who wants it more, I think, because um, it'll be the night match, 
and it'll be a late night match if they even play it tomorrow because the forecast is not looking very good. Um, it's supposed to rain um, from the hours of like 9 a.m. to like at least 12 p.m. So if it's a night match and if they do play it, you know, it could be going on at, at 10 p.m. And so it'll be chilly. It'll be it'll be tough, and it's going to come down to who wants it more because, you know, a late night match, struggle through the tournament already, you know, one of these players could say, you know, they're not really feeling it. They want to they wanna get out of here. It's been a tough, tough couple days with the weather. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You look at their career head-to-head, Sloan Stevens 3-0 and in professional events. Uh, they've obviously played mostly at majors. She matches up pretty well against Madison, huh? She's so yeah, fast, exactly. and she's, she's sort of a counterpuncher at heart. So Madison hits that first ball, you know, hard to the corner. Sloan's able to get there. And uh, you know, use her strength and balance and athleticism to. She needs Sloane needs the pace um, for sure. That's one one thing about Sloane's game. If someone's just you know sort of hitting a uh, medium pace balls in the middle of the court and she's forced to be the aggressor, she definitely does not like it as much as she does when someone rips it and makes her use her athleticism. Um, you know, and then she's able to open up the court and and yeah, and take control of the point. She doesn't like having control of the point from, like, the very beginning, you know, like, with just high, like, slow, slow balls. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, we've seen this matchup before. We know how successful Stevens has been on clay. So she probably enters as the favorite. But just real quick to uh, recap what tomorrow's matches are, we've got Sakari Wozniacki, Martich versus Bencic, Collins versus Puy, and then Keys versus Stevens. Uh, you know, if you can only catch one of those, which is the match you'd recommend the most, Kale? Uh, Collins versus Puig, because Puig's going to play well, and 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 then Danielle's going to be forced to, you know, dig deep, and we might see the uh, old classic Collins um, get fired up, you know, dig deep. the The crowd's <laughs> going to be amazing in that too. There was actually a ton of. Um, Puerto Rican or just, you know, Spanish descent, Hispanic. Um, I don't know what the correct terminology is. I need to have a, a, a PC brush up on what to <laughs> what to call different nationalities. But the Spanish speak, there was a good good uh, Spanish speaking crowd today and they were going crazy for Puig. Puig was the big time uh, crowd favorite over Sabalenka. That's not shocking. I feel and like in she Collins, has a... And Collins is a, is a, she has a ton of crowd support here too. You know, she's sort of like the new darling face of a, <laughs> of, a, of, a, of American women tennis. She broke onto the scene. She's tall, blonde, good. You know, pretty good looking, and she, yeah, got the fans love her. That's they, they make yeah, the fans love her. Yeah, but terrible at rock paper scissors, right? I don't know if she's good or bad, but what she, I mentally dominated her in that situation. <laughs> so I was just, you know, I was in the zone. When you're in the zone, you're in the zone, and I just, I knew, I knew what to do. You go rock, you know. You go rock every time, because um, <laughs> the chance, yeah, the, you know, you just go rock yeah. every time. Because they're either gonna go I, rock and you tie, or they're gonna go, you know, it increases your chances a little bit. I learned that from Coach Ramsey Smith. Uh, know, he throws uh, rock every time, and he's got a pretty phenomenal rock paper scissors um, record. I love, it. I love it. Well, then we won't get to talk to you until maybe next week. Give me your prediction, real quick. Are you sticking with it? Benchich takes on this title. Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> I, I think so. I, I think Benchich Benchich is gonna win this tournament. Um she's she's done well here before. She made the semifinals when she was like sixteen years old. Um she's I think I think she's gonna take home the title. Alright. I'm glad to hear. Well then let's move on. I wanna do one other thing real quick, uh, before I let you go. I wanna talk about the Monterey uh or the ATP Challenger going on in Monterey, Mexico. Quarterfinals, I think now pretty much set. You have Tennis Sandgren versus Marco Skirone. You've got Peter Polanski. I think Gomez knocked out Pavic, but I'm not sure. Uh, Bradley Klon was a winner today over Sebastian Ofner. Uh, Sasha Bublik today knocked out Mitchell Kruger. But just I, I, the match I got to see was the Marcos Giron uh, Marcel Granollers match. Giron ended up winning that one in a tight three sets. He just seems to be so confident since Indian Wells taking balls early, being aggressive. Uh, as a fellow Californian, I, I'm sure you know Marcos a little bit. Uh, would it shock you? I knew you Marcos he... growing up in the juniors very, very well. He's a good friend of mine. He is awesome. He's one of the sweetest kids you'll ever meet. And, and I, we had the chance to interview him. I completely agree with you. Such a kind guy. Would it shock you if he hops into the top 125, top 100 range, you know, qualifies for a slam this year? 
No, no, not at all. I, I mean, look from the ground. Like, his ground strokes are better than the, he in terms of just ground stroke production and movement on a tennis court. He's in the top hundred. He hits the ball. He hits the ball amazing. I mean, he hits the ball so good. And the the thing about Marcos that that I think is elite is when he gets into the corner, he's able to rip just a huge shot out of the corner off the court when he's off the court. And then he's his he's so strong. He's got such a strong base. He's able to push off and get back in the middle of the court, you know, at, at a top 50 level. So his movement around a tennis court has always been phenomenal, and it's good to see him finally healthy and, and moving like, in like partic- you know, he can. In particular, the forehand on the run. I mean, he just yes. always has his racket. And he's a, he snap hits across the, court, yeah, yep. down the line. Just so nice. And, you know, today you mentioned the thing with the ground strokes. I think he hit like nine double faults today. I'm sure he would even say, you know, that kind of sucked. Uh, but, yeah, just the talent is there now that he's healthy. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens from him. One other guy I wanted to ask you about from this tournament, another young Californian, Rothman, always goes, oh, I played with his brother. But Emilio Nava, a wild card into this event, a guy who's, I think, a senior in high school, uh, considering going pro or college at this point, knocks out Wake Forest, Borna Gojo in three sets in the first round, then loses to Giron four and two. This is my first chance to get to see him play. I don't know if you've seen Emilio play, Kale, but uh, just a result like this, do you start considering skipping college, or do you still keep college in the back of your head, even given the transition to her being in flux? Yeah, I mean, well, like the move is to go to college and get <laughs> in, and then and then if you leave, you leave. But the move is to use your tennis to get into whatever school you want. And then my 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 internet's not working right now, so I have no idea who the hell you're talking about. But he <laughs> sounds pretty good. <laughs> no, Emilio Nava. I I want to say he's. 17 maybe 18 uh I, I think his brother's eduardo uh plays for wake forest now um let's see i've got it up in front of me now milanava born december 2nd 2001 that doesn't make me feel old uh yeah from woodland hills california number one recruit junior class of 2020 blue chip all of the ranks uh current pro ranking number Sorry, we're doing this live. Number 860 on the ITF World Tennis Singles. Um, this is a guy who's played semifinals of a future in March, uh, made the quarterfinals of one last September, just kind of dipping his toes in. I'm looking at, at, at this guy right now. He looks like he looks like a tennis player. How tall is he? Uh, too soon to say. I wanted to say he was like you 62. Big kid. Took balls early. Look, I don't, I, I don't bring out the measuring tape. It's tough. Come on, uh, Gruskin. I'll call my guy Mike Cation. He's You're asking me site. about this guy, and I'm asking you how tall he is. You know, you, you got nothing. Oh, I'm looking at a picture right now. With he is pictured next to a Bulgarian um, player, very good, uh, Adrian Andreev, <laughs> who I know I've talked to him is about five ten. The guys, so this guy's six two. Yeah, he's lanky, six two, strong. Okay, but this looks kid like might he's not got even a, looks sh- like he's got a pretty Western grip on the forehand. He might not even shave yet. I mean, this kid is young, so that's why his height and weight aren't exactly, you know, locked in. Yeah, but I watched him play. Takes a lot of balls early, a lot of power, takes big cuts, a little inconsistent, sprays a little bit. You know, I don't know if he takes everything early because he is aggressive or if it's because— Well, he takes he takes the ball early because he's a good tennis player. One <laughs> thing about growing up, um, whenever I would play, you know, I would play—I was, you know, 30 in the country— so I would play the people who are 100 to, you know, whatever, beat them, and then I would play s- uh, someone who was elite. And the thing about playing those guys is it just feels like you have no time. Uh, it just You just feel so rushed all the time. You're never able to get comfortable. You know, you're never able to get a rhythm and start ripping the ball against those guys. And so, yeah, the fact that you said he takes time away means he's probably a really good player. Like playing Mitchell Frank, Dennis Kula – like those guys just totally suffocate you. Like you hit one shot and then you're hitting the next shot before you even have time to like process what's going on. You almost have to be a couple shots ahead when you're playing guys like that. You can't just hit the ball. You have to have a plan against those guys. I mean, that's the biggest thing about playing elite players is that they feel like it feels like you have absolutely no time and you're rushed. And then when you're rushed and you have no time, you're not playing your game. You're sort of playing into their game. Um, but yeah, if they're good, they're good, and they're going to take time away from you. 
Emilio Nava, U.S. Open Junior Doubles finalist, finalist at Eddie Hur in singles, finalist at the Junior Australian Open in singles and doubles this year. With oh, that so he's legit. Context. Okay, yeah, yeah he's college or good. no college? Dude, absolutely go to college. Do what <laughs> do what do what the legendary Spencer Vagosin did. <laughs> Get into Harvard with your tennis and then quit and then and then become a you know, a business tycoon with the Harvard connections. That's <laughs> Or the do move. the James Blake where you're really good at tennis, you go to Harvard and then you run the Miami Open when you're done. It's a better example, thank you. <laughs> but shout of out course. to Spencer Vagosin. I remember when I first got on tennisrecruiting.com when I first started playing tennis when I was, you know, 13, 14, playing at a, at a national level when I was 13, 14. Um, Spencer Vagosin <laughs> was number one in the 18s, so I remember no. that name. I, I Look, I'm always down for a good throwback. And, yeah, I would say um, – what was the other thing you were just – obviously, A, always go to college. Um, but, oh, B, I know what it was. You brought up Mitchell Frank. I'm a huge Virginia tennis slapping. I'm sorry to say that to Duke man like yourself. But I have takes about Mitchell Frank's tennis game if he would have stayed healthy. Ugh. Talk about a, one of, him and Alex Domijan were the two best freshmen I've ever seen in college tennis. Domijan, yeah, Domijan's 0-2 versus Kale Hammond in doubles, by the way. <laughs> true story. <laughs> in singles, he never played. So, so uh, yeah, that's that's true story. Uh, doubles uh, was not his forte. If you ever saw him play doubles, you would know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, no, Domijan, Domijan. Man. Was uh, as a freshman. I mean, that guy. That guy's tough to play. So, that guy takes it early, steps into the court, takes time away from you, and just you know serves one thirty and hits winners on everything. So what are you gonna yeah. do? I was I was ready for him to be top ten. And then um, and then Mitchell's Mitchell's a legend. You know, we can talk about him for a second. I went to College Park when my senior. So I was uh, the best player in Oklahoma at the time, which is not saying very much. But I you know I was telling my <laughs> hey, parents. Hey, Spencer I was like, I Papa need- says otherwise. I taught Spencer Papa everything he knows. That guy was my little brother growing up. Man, I love that kid. But and Spencer, obviously Spencer is much better than I am. He's fantastic. But at the time, I was, I, come on, the guy was 12 years old. I beat the shit out of him. And then, um, I, you, you threw me off, man. I don't even know what I was. Mitchell Frank, he was part of the reason. He and Dennis Kudler are why. Because I saw them, and they're like, oh, my God, these are future pro tennis players. So I was like, Mom, Dad, I need you need to send me to this tennis academy so I can train with the best players. Um, little did I know I would go there and wasn't – the coaches necessarily didn't want me to train with Mitchell Frank and Dennis Kudla. <laughs> they sort of let Mitchell Frank and Dennis Kudla train with Mitchell Frank and Dennis Kudla every day. <laughs> so that didn't pan out the way I was expecting. But, um, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're fantastic. They're amazing. And that's, they are the reason I needed, I felt the need to go to a tennis academy and get out of Oklahoma. And in retrospect, it was not the best decision because leaving the family support system and all that, it's a good topic for another day, you know, a pod, whether you should go to a tennis academy or stay at home and stay in high school. And I think the answer is almost always stay at home and stay in high school. Like look at Jack Sock, look at Steve Johnson, look at those guys, look at Sam Query, you know, all of the successful Americans, are not necessarily products of tennis academies. I mean, Dennis Kudla is an example, but Dennis Kudla is also one of the most disciplined, hardworking um, kids you'll ever meet, and people like him do not come along very often. No, I, I completely agree with you. And it is a perfect topic for GSP another time, so we can wrap up with this last question. Funny tweet I saw today. Martin Collins at Truth and Tennis created his Avengers Endgame squad with a bunch of tennis uh, Twitter handles. And he named us Iron Man. Is that a compliment? I think it is, right? That's a huge compliment. I don't. I'm, I was like afraid he's trying to say we are the uh, flashy ones, the one who uh, I don't know, the Tony Starks. I feel like no, Tony Stark he's saying some... Iron Man because you guys are consistently churning out content, which is not an easy <laughs> thing to do. I appreciate you saying that, and that seems like the perfect segue to give a shout-out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do, as always. Thank you, Kale, for staying up with me. You you know, you mentioned you were in your bed earlier, and I can only imagine how exhausting it is to be at these tournaments all week. Any final thoughts? No final thoughts, but uh, the last two days with the weather um, being amazing, you, you see why this this is one of the best tournaments in the world, bar none. The players are so happy here. You almost, you never see a, a face that's not smiling. You know, even when they lose, they're still in good spirits just because of the hospitality, the southern, the classic southern hospitality, and also the media center food. That we get. I'm gonna gain ten pounds here. They are giving. Food.
some fantastic soul food southern southern cooking um to to all the you know the 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 boxes tents and the um, media center lounge so shout out to the tournament for providing fantastic fantastic food they had these potatoes today they were roasted <laughs> potato it said they were roasted in duck fat and i i we talked about ibs earlier i have a sensitive stomach but i'm a i mean roasted potatoes you know with some chicken and rice and also yeah. these uh these collard greens they had can't say no you can't say no but i ate i ate a big plate of those potatoes and i it was a I was doing those golf cart confessionals, and it was a struggle. Um, they were, they were, they were completely filled in with duck fat. The the most delicious potatoes I've ever had, but no no wonder because they were they were they were cooked in a pool of duck fat. Oh, that's that seems like the perfect way to end it. We hope, hopefully, you know, people get to experience something like that as they're listening to this and enjoying their weekend. But you know, again, huge shout out to you, Kale. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm good to wrap up if you are. No, absolutely. And, All right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm probably won't be able to hop on. I'm hoping to experience some of the um, Charleston nightlife either tomorrow or Saturday. <laughs> Flights up, flight back on Sunday. I'm not here for the final, but. You know, I've seen enough. This is just a fantastic event. Thanks for for having me. Always quick plugs. Where can they find your content? So follow my Instagram. That's where I post all the good stuff. Um, Twitter, Twitter. My Twitter game is is trash, but I'm working on it. It's it's tough, man. Just just throwing those tweets out to the void. Like you know, it's just you just (laughs) gotta get comfortable. Okay, you think you know you're just tweeting your thoughts. You gotta be comfortable doing that. But Instagram's where I'm. I'm actually uh, not great, but I'm getting better at it. So follow my Instagram at Kale Hammond, C A L E H A M M O N D, and then follow um, Tennis Channel. All the work we're doing, I think we're doing a pretty good job there um, in the old social media department. We definitely care about it, which is good. It's uh, hasn't always been that way there, so um, we're excited. I'm- no, I'm, I'm glad to hear, and I've been enjoying watching all of our times. I'll throw in a plug as well. Check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You know the deal by now. This podcast, Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, What the Deuce, Rate, Listen, Subscribe, Review, Share with your friends. We want to hear from you. But for my wonderful co-host, Kale Hammond, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Wessoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Kale, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. That's about (laughs) as energetic as I'll say that. That's perfect, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, Kale. Thank you.